We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden in partnership with 440 Sports and Broadway Sports Media. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, Justin Mello. Justin, what's up? Doing well. We've got an interesting episode today, I think. Uh, You and I debated a few topics that we were going to go back and forth on, but we decided to come up with a multi-layered episode, I guess I would call it, where we're going to go through a bunch of different things and maybe tease uh, an upcoming series that we're going to get into in the next few weeks here. Yeah, so no huge news out of Titans Nation. We've been waiting for that offensive coordinator hire, but as we've speculated last week, probably going to have to wait till after the Super Bowl, especially if the rumors that Eric Bieniemy is the top target are true. It's Eric Bieniemy or Matt Nagy. <laughs> if it wasn't one of those guys, I really do think the Titans would have hired someone else by now. So I'm with you on that. But today we're going to talk about a new coaching staff addition. The Titans have made some senior bowl thoughts now that that week of practice and game has wrapped up uh, and some interesting thoughts on a potential Titans or sorry, an impending Titans free agent. We have a rumor report, whatever you want to call it. I would say speculation on <laughs> the number one overall pick currently held by the Chicago bears. And of course, look ahead to a, Pretty cool article coming out tomorrow that you have written your top 75 big board. I've gone through it. I spotted a couple little things that I'm going to ask you about. And so we'll talk about that because draft season is close. Free agency season is even closer. So sort of covering a broad spectrum of topics today. But let's start with the Titans hiring Lori Locust, uh, most recently on staff with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. She is one of only a handful of women coaches to ever coach in the NFL and only one of two currently active coaches in the NFL. She will be a defensive assistant on Mike Vrabel's staff. Any thoughts on this move? I don't know a lot about her, but I think it's cool that the Titans are being the team that hires Lori Locust. I do have some thoughts. Um, Number one, congratulations to her. This is awesome. Uh, Number two, I randomly know a lot of people um, that are very close to that Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. In Tampa Bay, you know, people who have, you know, worked for the team, worked with the team, yada, yada. Um, a lot of people, probably second in, in most in the league next to the Titans for me, randomly. <laughs> um, and I've always heard really good things about Coach Locust. I really have throughout the years. I've been privy to stories regarding her coaching, ten- coaching tendencies and uh, the manner <laughs> in which she conducts herself and the amount of respect the players had for her, her there in Tampa Bay. Really excellent to see here to see her come here to Tennessee. Um, I believe it was Paul Kuharski who tweeted some follow-up information that she's going to be working closely with Ryan Crow and the outside linebackers. I thought that was a really good fit for her because, you, she, again, she worked with the D-line there in Tampa Bay. You look at the success that they've had across that unit. Take it back to the Super Bowl, right, when they beat the Kansas City Chiefs and the amount of pressure they were able to apply on Patrick Mahomes I look at that D-line. Of course, you know, she and everyone else working there had a lot of talent to work with, right? Guys like Vita Vea, 
Jason Pierre-Paul, Nadama Kungsu. They've drafted a couple guys, right? Was it Jojo Tryon Shoyanka? Uh, you also had, uh, what was the pick they had last year? I think it was Logan Hall in the first round uh, they chose as well. Had a lot of talent to work there. Shaq Barrett, of course, and the resurgence he experienced upon joining right. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So she did a terrific job. Everyone there on that defensive staff did a terrific job. I'm a little surprised to see her. Um, I, I, I don't know if she was let go. I think her contract wasn't renewed. More or less the same right. thing, right? Where, where Todd Bowles has made a decision there to go in a different direction. Keep in mind, Bowles was the defensive coordinator um, when she was uh, working there on the D-line. So it's not like he necessarily inherited her when he became head coach. He was already on staff. So a little surprised to see uh, Bowles uh, letting uh, Coach Locust go. But when you have the season that Tampa Bay did, um, there's going to be lots of staff changes, just like you know Tennessee is going through right now. Pretty par for the course. But I've heard nothing but great things uh, about Coach Locust for several years now from, again, several people who are close to that team. I, I felt like I knew her, you know, all the stories I've been hearing. I think her and I have followed each other on Twitter for several years now. And I was I was stupid excited when I heard that she was coming to Tennessee um, based on everything I've heard. And I think that's such a good fit for her to be working alongside Ryan Crow and the outside linebackers. I, actually, I don't think there's a better fit for her on this team. And she's going to get to work with guys like Harold Landry coming back off an ACL. And she'll work with a Rashad Weaver. Um, as well, and, and probably uh, a, a young draft pick, in my in my opinion, as well, that they're going to get in here um, in, in April. Maybe Adina Kowatri, right, who spends uh, his time there. Who I think she won't be working with is Bud Dupree in 2023. No, all kidding aside. Uh, <laughs> we'll we've get always, into that. You know, we've talked about Bud Dupree being a cap casualty potentially, but whatever happens there, she's going to get a really good group here with guys like Harold Landry and Rashad Weaver. Interesting. So, yeah, I think that this is a, a cool hire. I'm into it. Like I said, I don't know much about her, but I'll take your word for it that she's a good coach. And, you know, Mike Vrabel hires good coaches for the most part. He fires them when they're not good. So um, <laughs> we'll see how this shakes out, but I think it's a cool move. Let's talk now about the Senior Bowl. Senior Bowl wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Um, some guys stood out. Some guys didn't. I want to get your thoughts here uh, about the game. Also, the Pro Bowl happened, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> At all. Sorry. Uh, if you came to this podcast for a Pro Bowl talk, not going to happen. Um, so Senior Bowl thoughts. Anyone that you think really boosted their stock immensely, either through the week of practice or at the game itself? Obviously, we talked about some guys to watch last week. Any of those guys shine? Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna take this moment to pat myself on the back. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm not going to be humble about it. I'm just going to do it, okay? So the reason I say that is I think – <laughs> you, you guys probably can't see this, but Graver is, I don't know if you call it <laughs> metaphorically, or he's patting me on the back through the screen right virtually. now. Virtually. I would call it virtually. Sorry, I, metaf- virtually is a better word than metaphorically. Uh, that's why you are you do what you do, and I'm just the, the, the talent guy that watches <laughs> tape, right? Uh, I'm going to pat myself on the back because I think going into the Senior Bowl, all of the guys that I had sort of earmarked that were maybe a little higher on my big board than they were on a lot of other big boards. And I'm not, I look, I'm not in direct competition with anyone, but basically just guys I was higher on than I think the general consensus. I think all of them looked great <laughs> at the senior bowl. And, and that made me feel really good about my process, all kidding aside um, and the work yeah. that I'm doing. And some of those guys that I was really high on that I think, the masses didn't maybe know quite as well, unless you're a hardcore draft guy. Um, was the cornerback out of Kansas State, Julius Brents. Um, I've been raving about this guy's length 
and playmaking ability, athletic ability, ball skills for weeks. Uh, he went there and he had like the longest wingspan of any DB they've seen in a long time. And that length was on display throughout the practices. He he opens up and runs really well. I thought he was terrific. That was a guy I was really high on. I think I already, I think, for example, I, I think there was one big board I had him like, you know, in the 75 to 85 range, where I believe initially I had him at about 56. I've bumped mm-hmm. him up now into my top 50 um, after sort of getting the confirmation I was looking for. A couple more guys. I'll, I'll try not to be too long-winded. Uh, Keon White out of Georgia Tech. I mean, maybe I shouldn't pat myself on the back for this. I thought I was high on him. I think Daniel Jeremiah has him like seven on his big board. That's a little wow. ridiculous, uh, uh, to be frank. But uh, this was a guy I think, again, I had around 42 when a lot of people had him around 70. Um, and I've bumped him up as well. I, that guy is 280, 285 pounds and moves unbelievably well. I've never seen anything like it. Like when I put on the tape against Georgia earlier this year and I got to watch him against Broderick Jones, projected first round pick, a popular mock draft choice for the Titans at left tackle. Hey, I thought Brooks has like, him going to the Titans right now. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I thought he played a really good game against Broderick Jones. That was a big one for me. This, this is something I've learned over the years, by the way, that I didn't know when I started. And I, when I, I mean, when, like my very first year scouting. Uh, like scouts, NFL scouts, everyone's always like, I got to watch six, seven games on a prospect if you're a draft analyst. Scouts will see like Will Anderson, Alabama, play against Troy University. They're not even going to fucking watch it. They're not because they're like, yeah, I know Will Anderson's <laughs> going to destroy Troy. Like, I, I don't care. I really don't. But they're not going. They're, they're not going to watch it. They're just not. But when you got a guy like Keon White, the first thing they're going to do is go watch what he did against Georgia. Right? That's number one game. You look at Georgia Tech's twenty twenty two schedule. Georgia. Okay, done. That's what I'm. Gonna, that's where I'm going to learn about Keon White. And you know what? I don't right. remember what the final score was. I imagine Georgia won that game by 40, 50 points. If I, I was like, I'm gushing about Keon White as I'm jotting down my notes, and I'm like, I almost forgot Georgia Tech's losing this game by 50 points because I'm loving what Keon White <laughs> is putting on tape. I thought he was unbelievable at the Senior Bowl, confirmed uh, everything I saw. Two more guys I'll shout out quickly. Uh, a, a guy I think I talked about on here was Cody Mock out of North Dakota State. Again, where I feel good about my process, I've been telling everyone for a few months now, he's not going to play tackle in the NFL. This is a guy that played nothing but tackle at North Dakota State. We got confirmation on that, something I heard months ago. He's got like 31-inch arms. He's not going to play tackle, right? You're not going to put him a 31-inch arm uh, tackle in the NFL. So he's going to kick inside. I thought he was terrific. That doesn't matter. We knew that was going to – or at least you know, I knew that was going to happen. If you pay attention, you knew that was going to happen. Looked really good at guard though, right? Anytime you're kicking inside, it's a projection. So you want to actually see it. Thought he looked really good in there. One thing I didn't take into account, I'm going to unpat myself on the back for this one, is he got some snaps at center. That impressed the hell out of me. I did not really necessarily know that was going to happen. Super impressed with him. I think he spent most of his time at guard, but he did get some snaps at center. And it wouldn't shock me if there are teams that that think he can play center at the next level. Two most important things on him. He handled the step up in competition, being an NDSU guy, playing against pass rushers from bigger programs than he saw on a weekly basis. He still showcased that positional versatility, playing essentially all three interior positions. And he showed you can play guard and center. That, that's such a big deal. And the last one, I'll shout out was a guy I took a bit of a leap of faith on initially probably the biggest leap of faith I took because a lot of people you know at least again if you're in the draft scene you knew a bit about Cody Mock I think you know maybe Julius Brents with the year Kansas State had you probably should have known about him with how good they were but one guy I did not see a lot about was Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin I don't remember if I mentioned him on here or not but 
he was a guy that I thought was an elite run stopper on tape. Unbelievable run stopper. Can play some nose tackle. He's well over 300 pounds. Um, and, and again, I guess I have a bit of a, an advantage because I got to talk to all the senior bowl players before they went down there. If you're unfamiliar, you didn't follow the series. I partnered, you know, we, we partnered over at the Draft Network with, with Jim Nagy and the senior bowl this year. Um, and I was able to conduct player interviews and profiles uh, on behalf of both of them. I ended up talking to 55 guys or so before they headed down there. When I spoke to Keanu Benton, I talked about him being a high-level run stopper. And I asked what he was out to prove at the Senior Bowl. And he said, I'm tired of everyone just saying I'm a run stopper. I can rush the passer too. And when I turned mm. on the tape, I thought he was an elite run stopper. And I go, you know what? I do think there's some untapped potential here for him as a pass rusher. I think I had him on my initial big board again at like 53 or 54, whereas most had him closer to like 80 to 100 range. Thought he went there and did just that. Proved he could rush the passer in Mobile, shooting up draft boards, no doubt about it. I, I doubt he gets to round three. So again, that's a guy that I, I, I've bumped up again after getting confirmation on what I believe. So uh, to summarize, uh, I'm, I usually try to be humble. I'm going to pat myself on the back here because Julius Brands, Cody Mock, Keanu Benton, Keon White, those are four guys I had earmarked going in. I had really high grades on them, higher than most, and then I they all knocked it out of the park. Look, there were guys that disappointed me a little bit too. I won't get too much into it, but those four were the, were the big one. No one that I had a super high grade on overly disappointed me. I should say that. There were just a couple of guys I was you know a little anxious to find out about that were a little disappointing, but... Those four were the four. If you honestly ask me, who are you most looking forward to see? There's a decent chance I would have answered with those four players, a very good chance even, and I'm so happy for them. They were terrific out there. All four of them are ones you need to know. Nice, and all four could be in play for the Titans because the Titans need guys at all those positions. I mean, the Titans need depth at least across the entire roster and need to really restock and reload in this draft. So these are names to keep an eye on, and just in case – you thought the senior bowl was like a John Robinson only thing. And we know John Robinson famously like loved to find talent at the senior bowl and maybe loved to find talent at the senior bowl a little too much. And then selected Des Fitzpatrick from the senior bowl over a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, but it's really not a John Robinson thing. It's, it's an NFL thing. And over the last few years, at least, and even going back further than that, the senior bowl has really, the profile has really been raised. And um, something that our buddy Zach at F words pod tweeted out, last week just so everyone actually this was today wow the days really blend together um something zach tweeted out on monday morning was uh about how many guys from the senior bowl were drafted in last year's in the 2022 draft so 82 percent of the players who played in the senior bowl ended up being drafted of the 262 draft selections from last year 106 of them 40 percent played in the Senior Bowl. There were 12 different teams that selected four or more players from the Senior Bowl, including Rand Carthon's 49ers. And the Titans were actually not one of those 12 teams. So I think we could definitely see the trend of Senior Bowl guys landing with the Titans continue because the trend right now is Senior Bowl guys get drafted. So a lot of these guys are going to end up playing in the league uh, at the next level. I want to shout out Zach quickly for two reasons. Number one, good luck to him and congratulations on his newest endeavor over there at stacking the inbox. He's doing a great job. Yes. I'm so happy for him. He's betting on himself and he's worth every cent. So if you're not familiar yet, make sure you head over to his Twitter at FWordsPod. Get familiar with what he's doing with stacking the inbox and you could subscribe um, today. Uh, great senior bowl coverage from him and, and Stoney Keeley, who, by the way, I, I don't know Stoney personally, but I, I love him. I just love following him on Twitter. All the memes. I think he's absolutely hilarious. 
hilarious. I got to interact with Stoney on a more consistent basis. He's so friggin' funny and he's very good at what he does as well. Second thing I want to say about Zach is thanks for doing that research that I didn't want to do because it was funny. This morning, <laughs> I was looking at my big board. I swear I was looking at it as I was submitting. I, I By the way, I've, I've completed 125 scouting reports thus far. I'm releasing to them uh, my big board slowly. So the top 75 coming out this week on broadwaysportsmedia.com. It'll probably be out by the time you listen to this episode. I believe we have it running early access first. So if you're a premium member, you'll get early access uh, to my big board over there, the top 75 reveal. By the way, one cool thing, uh, again, I, I sound like I'm patting myself on the back again, but one cool thing I think I do with the big board is I'll try to pick a player every 5, 10 pl- players on the big board, and I'll write three, four sentences on why they're there. Most big boards, I get it. It's, it's too much work. They just give you all the names. I do that too, but I'm trying to include more explanations on certain players this year. So that's a little added feature I'm adding for for our readers reading the big board. But as I was reading, going through it this morning, and I was looking at like 80 to like 110 on my big board, I was starting to worry I was getting senior bowl bias. I'm like, holy shit. Essentially, every single one of these guys was at the senior bowl. Like, am, am I putting too much, am I starting to put too much stock into it? And then I swear, 10 minutes later, I came across Zach Stratton, and I'm like, no, this is accurate. This is par for the course. Like, the senior bowl is, everyone gets drafted essentially nowadays. So it makes sense that you're going to get pockets on a big board where everyone that appears was at the senior bowl. So thanks to Zach for uh, uh, sort of reaffirming what I was doing there. And that uh, his newsletter stacking the inbox is stacking the inbox.substack.com. So definitely check that out. He's got, he had tons of stuff on the Titans general manager candidates and on Rand Carthon, and it's only going to continue to, to keep being a great resource for Titans fans. So check that stuff out. All right. We're going to get into a really interesting comment that Jim Wyatt sort of just like, very casually floated out there about Nate Davis. But first, we're going to do our Beef of the Week, presented by the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden. And I don't know what you've been thinking of this week, but I, I think I'm going to go first this time. My Beef of the Week, this is maybe a silly one, but here's what it is. My Beef of the Week is with all these people out there who are proposing that the Titans will trade Jeffrey Simmons to the Chicago Bears for the number one overall like pick, it. along with other compensation and things like that. It just... And I get it. You know, if you're not a Titans fan, you see Jeffrey Simmons, you're like, oh, he'd be a great piece. The Chicago Bears, like, historically have always had these this dominant defense, these big D linemen, these great pass rushers. And, like, I would, I would understand why another team would want the Titans to trade them, Jeffrey Simmons. But it ain't going to happen. The Titans are not going to trade Jeffrey Simmons. And you know what? Maybe I'll look stupid just like I did when I said the Titans were never going to trade A.J. Brown because they did. Um, but Rand Carthon was talking with Chris Long on a podcast last week and Chris Long asked him to define like what what do you think when you think of what the ideal titan in your vision of the team is like what what does that player look like and he pointed to two guys that he said I think these guys represent the ideal titan and those two guys were Derrick Henry and Jeffrey Simmons so no the Titans ain't trading Derrick Henry either by the way and they're not trading Jeffrey Simmons at least not this season uh, those guys will be Titans in 2023. Stop putting them in your mock trades because it ain't happening. I love that. My beef of the week, you know what? I, I was giving Zach praise earlier. Now I'm gonna shit on him. I, I have to do it. I'm gonna give <laughs> I'm gonna make I'm gonna make Zach the center of my beef of the week because I'm in a Titans group chat with Zach where we got into a little friendly argument uh earlier today where he and so I won't name too many names, but other people in that group chat were saying I think, you know, Rand Carthon is going to draft running backs at a sort of a more successful rate than John Robinson did. 
And to me, and like everyone, people were agreeing, oh, you know, you played running back, and people were bringing up Darrington Evans. Remember Kalfani Muhammad? He got brought up at one point. Hassan Haskins was already brought up, even though I think it's maybe a tad premature. And people were agreeing with this assessment. And I thought there was way too much recency bias in there. Look, when you're a fan of a football team, let's be honest, it's easy to want to prop up the new GM and kind of shit on the old guy. But I'm like, did John Robinson not draft Derrick Henry? Like, am I missing something? Like, I just think it's a very bold thing to say that the next GM is, or the Rand Carthon, of course, that is, is going to draft running backs at better rates, so to speak, than John Robinson did. And I thought it was just not giving Robinson enough credit for drafting Derrick Henry. I think there's a bit of revisionist history involved there. It's like, oh, he was the Heisman winner. He was a freak of nature. Like, he went 45th overall, right? Like, I know running backs in value, but guess what? Derrick Henry, you redo that draft. Does Derrick Henry get out of the top five? Does he get out of the top three? Ezekiel Elliott went fourth in the same draft, so don't talk to me about positional value there, okay? Exactly. Who's a better running back right now? It's not even there close. Wasn't, like, people had questions about Derrick Henry's ability to translate to the program. And another reason, John Robinson, there's, there's a lot of credit for that pick. It's an A-plus pick, home run pick, one of the best picks you'll ever make, any GM could ever make is that they had drafted for DeMarco Murray, right, earlier that offseason. So, John Robinson inherited a terrible roster. Terrible. They had needs everywhere. He already traded for a running back. He did not need to go draft a running In fact, I'll never forget. I was a Titans fan at that time. I did not do a a ton of work yet in in, in the draft landscape. I remember being such a big Derrick Henry fan, though, pre-draft. I loved him so much. I remember being slightly disappointed. When they traded for DeMarco Murray, because my initial reaction was, ah, they're not going to draft Derrick Henry. There's not a chance in hell they draft Derrick Henry now. So the fact that he still drafted Derrick Henry, even though he had needs across his whole roster and just traded for a veteran running back, John Robinson deserves a ton of credit for that pick. You cannot give him enough credit for that pick. And I, and I use the example of, that's like saying, and I, and I believe this sticks. This was my counter argument. That's like saying the next Chiefs general manager might, you know, maybe he'll be better at drafting quarterbacks. Because why? Because he drafted... Uh, obviously, this is, you know what I mean. He drafted Will McDonald in the seventh round once. He drafted Patrick <laughs> Mahomes in the first round. The next guy's not going to draft quarterbacks better than he did, right? So it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, Rand Carthon, I don't care that he played running back. He'll probably never make a running back pick better than Derrick Henry. Be for the week with you if you think otherwise. No, I, I, I'm with you on that. And I kind of get where both sides are coming from in this case. Because like, I think on the one hand, it's like he could have a better hit rate where – He's never going to draft an all-pro 2,000-yard rusher maybe, but maybe he drafts like four Elijah Mitchell, Jeff Wilson types, Raheem Mostert types, who are like good, productive running backs as opposed to like a Darrington Evans who plays three snaps and then tears his hamstring or whatever. Um, So like I kind of see what they're they're saying, but I I agree with you more that like if you are able to nail the pick at the highest possible level, it doesn't get better than that. Like Derrick Henry is a generational running back. Hall of Fame future guy like it doesn't get better so I'm with you so if you agree check out the pharmacy burger parlor and beer garden if you disagree still check out the pharmacy burger parlor and beer garden the best burgers the best brats the best brews in Nashville all right let's get to what I was just teasing there before our beef of the week can I can I tell can I tell a quick story while we're sorry while we're still talking about the pharmacy my chiropractor went to the pharmacy last week okay my chiropractor wow. This is what we do. We put on for the people that put on for us. My chiropractor was take, took his dad to Nashville, went on a trip to Nashville, took his dad for his birthday, hit me up because I know you're a big Nashville guy. Where do I have to go to eat? What do I got to check out? Gave him a list. He goes, 
first of all, you are sponsored by the pharmacy. There's not a chance in hell I'm not going to the pharmacy. He went over to the pharmacy. He got a burger, got a brew. I had another appointment with him. I got my back is I sit down all day and write talk write about football. I got a terrible back. I went back to my chiropractor. He said the pharmacy was unbelievable. Lived up to the expectations. Couldn't believe how good it was. Shout out to the pharmacy for serving my chiropractor last week. They probably didn't even know it. I doubt he said anything, but they served my chiropractor last week. I thought that was awesome. That is awesome. And everyone should check out the pharmacy and you will have a similar experience. I guarantee it. All right. Let's get into what I was just teasing there because the Titans have a few guys who are set to be free agents, but one of them has been a starter for basically all four years. I mean, three and a half, maybe if you want to get tricky with it and not counting time missed due to injuries. But Nate Davis has been one of their more consistent offensive linemen, right guard, uh, since being inserted into the starting lineup his rookie season. He's been a pretty good player. He had some you know, trouble with COVID, uh, play slightly regressed, but overall on an offensive line that's seen a lot of moving parts and a lot of struggles, Nate Davis has been one of their better players. Now he's set to be a free agent this, you know, this March. A lot of Titans fans are like, well, you know, there's so many guys to replace on the offensive line already. You know, you're likely going to cut Taylor Lewan. You're definitely not bringing back Dennis Daly, Ben Jones. What is his future? Even if he plays one more season, like you're looking for your next center at some point along the line, Aaron Brewer, Played well for a starter, for a guy who was an undersized, undrafted free agent. But, you know, sort of replacement level play. I think you you can do better there. If you can upgrade, you would. So is Nate Davis also a position you're going to have to replace? No way. You got to re-sign this guy. Well, not so fast because Jim Wyatt, in his most recent mailbag, threw out a comment that honestly is pretty shocking for Jim Wyatt to say this because usually he kind of is indifferent. You know, he, he expresses his opinion, but he doesn't really comment on things like this. Anyway, somebody asked him a question, and in that question, he said that he would like to see the Tennessee Titans re-sign Nate Davis. Jim responded, you know, he also mentioned Corey Levin, so the, the response is mostly about Corey Levin. At the end of his comment, as for Davis, this is quote Jim Wyatt, as for Davis, I'd be surprised if he's back in 2023. What? So now you're looking at replacing your left tackle because you Taylor Lewan ain't coming back, Dennis Daly ain't coming back. Ben Jones, potentially, if you have to replace your center, he hasn't retired yet, so we kind of have to assume that he will play again, but, you know, he could still retire at any minute. He could retire in August. Like, who knows? And now your right guard as well? You want to upgrade your left guard? Now you got to replace your right guard too? This is a mess. Rand Carthon has a lot of work to do uh, to rebuild this offensive line, which, you know, like the offensive line, you know, I mean, I'm an old-school football guy who thinks that you win games and lose games based almost – purely on your offensive line like if you have poor receivers they have more time to get open if you have a better offensive line if you have a bad running back he has more room to run if you have a good offensive line now obviously the titans have a good running back but they have pretty poor receivers right now ryan <laughs> Tannehill, tough son of a bitch stands in the pocket waits for guys to get open takes those big shots to deliver throws you can't get through a whole season like that you need to have a strong offensive line titans might have to replace their right guard now if jim wyatt is uh, to be believed here what was your instant reaction to this, and what are your thoughts? It obviously was a bit surprising, and I'm glad we decided to cover this because it is a big comment coming from Jim Wyatt in his mailbag. That's why you got to read the mailbag every week. You never know what sort of nuggets are in there. And again, I think Jim would tell you he's simply expressing his opinion. This is certainly not based on insider information. He's not going to you know, tell people what you know conversations he's had or hasn't had with Mike Vrabel, Rand Carthon, things of that nature. But it is surprising, right? And And... I was thinking like you, logically, 
You've already got a lot of work to do on the offensive line. Uh, Nate Davis was your second best, you know, lineman this year by a wide margin, right? Like Ben Jones was one, Nate Davis was two, and then the other three weren't even close to those two. So you would think with all the work you have to do across that line um, that you would resign Nate Davis. You don't want to create another hole for yourself, so to speak, where so many already exist. Um, but this is stunning. I, I have a hard time thinking what to make of it. Potentially, is it a salary cap thing? Look, we know they're they're up against the cap in a major way, right? What are they, like 23, 25 million above the cap? They've got to become cap compliant by the new start of the league year, which I believe March 15th, creeping up super quick. You're talking about four and a half weeks, roughly, five weeks tops. So they got to become cap compliant. But we know all the cap casualties that are are, are probably going to come. The Taylor Lewans, the Bud Dupree that I, I, I joked a little about earlier here. Uh, you know, Zach Cunningham, I think, is an obvious one. Robert Woods is a potential one. Uh, uh, Jamarco Jones is going to get him like two million when they cut him. Like, uh, so lots of options. Of course, people can still talk about trading or releasing Ryan Tannehill would free up a ton of money. I don't know that they're going to go that route, but it's an option they have to create cap space if they want to. Um, is this again? Is this just a thing where they're up against the cap? And I, how much money does Nate Davis get per year? It's honestly a tough question to ask. When I look at the the market value, and I have done it already. Um, I, I think a projected contract would probably be around three years, 30 million, three years, 32. Like, I think he's going to get, I think on the low end, he gets about 9 million per season. Um, on the high end, it's probably like 11, 11 and a half. And uh, I'm not the end all be all when it comes to these numbers. But I think when I had looked at the market value, I looked at what Austin Corbett, uh, got when he signed with the Carolina Panthers last offseason. I think that's a good comparison because Corbett, uh, his career did not start in, in very impressive fashion. He actually was really struggling in Cleveland and they pretty much gave up on him and sent them to the Los yeah. Angeles Rams. Then he played really well with the Rams there for like a year or even half a year down the stretch. And he cashed in with that contract in Carolina. I think he got $9 million a year. If my mind serves me correctly, I think it was three years, $27 million. And when I think of Nate Davis, I think, you know, and look, the market's always increasing at least little by little. And I think Nate Davis has put some better things on tape for a longer period of time than Austin Corbett had at that time. So if I'm way off on here, I'm like, he at least gets what Corbett got, which was $9 million, But maybe it can go up to $10.5, million, $11 annually. He's also been an injury-prone guy a little bit, right? He's had his issues. He's been in and out of the lineup. That obviously is going to factor in when you're paying a guy, you know, ten million a year on a multi-year deal. Look at all the cash they had on IR this year, right? With Taylor Lewan and Bud Dupree and Zach Cunningham, and I can go on and on and on. Uh, Harold Landry, of course, before the year started. I think they want to avoid repeating that mistake, right? Let's not have a ton, a ton of money on IR on on a yearly basis. So, I mean, you and I will get more into this when we the series that we're going to tease in a little bit. Uh, but it certainly is a surprising comment. When, when I think of why they wouldn't want to bring him back, I think of maybe financial commitment with the injuries. And uh, I, I, yeah, that I think that's the number one thing that comes to mind for me is financial commitment. Yeah. Um, if you look at another guy who was a free agent last year, Alex Kappa played his first four mm -hmm. years with Tampa Bay, was a, was a pretty good player, a former third round pick, just like Nate Davis, signed a four-year $35 million contract with the Bengals this offseason. That's 8.75 per year. Is he better or worse than Nate Davis? It's, you know, another year. Cap would just went up a, a, a bunch this offseason. It's going up. So, yeah, I think 9 to 10 million is the range you're looking at there. So, anyway, yes, as you said, we'll get into this later. But it is definitely worth noting for now that, um, 
you know, one of the Titans major needs could be at right guard. And we're going to get into this, some of those major needs. But first, let's discuss this thing. This could have been my beef of the week, too. I got to be honest. So uh, <laughs> on February 2nd, which whatever day that was, that was uh, Thursday, I think last Thursday, the account Da Bears blog tweeted just randomly kind of out of nowhere. In fact, they even said in their tweet, haven't tweeted much, but I have two things for you. Number one was a point about Justin Fields that is extremely fan biased. So like automatically my radars are going off like don't trust this account, don't trust this account. Number two, two teams have already floated offers for first pick. Neither is Texans or Colts. Will be fun. It's like so cryptic and weird. Like why would you even say that if you're not going to say who the team is? Oh, but wait, they did say who the team was. Um, Sort of. They, they fired off another tweet uh, a few minutes later, quote tweeting somebody who responded, Vegas and Carolina, they quote tweeted it. What about that club in Nashville picking 11? Like, what do you mean, what about that club in Nashville? Are you the one reporting this or are you telling us that they could be a potential option? I don't know. Anyway, this started a firestorm of Twitter that was like, oh, wow, the Titans have reached out about the number one overall pick. Wow, the Titans going to make a move and go get Bryce Young or whoever they want. Can we stop with this nonsense? Okay. The Bears blog, they don't have a blue check mark. They do have 42,000 followers, but you know, the Bears have a huge fan base and their blogs have a lot of readers. Do blo- like I'm not trying to I mean, you got sources, you're a blogger, but how many of these bloggers really have real sources on something like this about somebody floating in a, a pick, you know, a, a a potential trade for the number 1 overall pick? This is like a rap sheet level of insider info here. I feel like DeBear's blog is does not have the info on if the Titans have offered for the number one pick. Also, Rand Carthon just got in the building. Was the first thing he walked in the building is like sending trade offers for the number one overall pick. Give me a break. Uh, Can we stop talking I, about this? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be as passionate as you. I do think it, it created a hilarious fire. Titans Twitter ran with it, of course, and I'm sure that made the Bears blog very happy, right, to see it making its rounds uh, as much as it did. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll just give some general thoughts on this. Um, I don't think the Titans are in a position to trade up for a quarterback. I think they have so many needs across their roster. Trading up for a quarterback means you don't get to address many of those needs because you're parting with so much draft capital in order to move up for a quarterback. With that said, it's the most important position in all of professional sports. So for whatever reason, if they do think that Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or Will Levis, I think those are the only three quarterbacks that have a remote chance to go number one overall. And to be honest, I would say it's really just Bryce Young and Will Levis at the forefront of my opinion. I think Stroud has more of an outside chance to get inside that mix. But if they believe one of those guys is a Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen level quarterback can't miss, then yes, you do whatever it takes to go up and get that guy. Um, I don't think those guys are quite on that level as prospects. I think they all have severe question marks. Not to say that a guy with question marks can't turn into that guy because the guys I just said had question marks, right? Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert. They all had massive question marks coming out of college. Uh, none of them went number one overall, right? Out of the four that I just mentioned. So uh, no, none of them did. And one of them went in the second round being Jalen Hurts, right? A couple and then Mahomes went, what, 11 or 12. Then Josh Allen went seventh or eighth, something along those lines. So you can get talent just about anywhere. But yes, Titans should go get a quarterback if they believe they're that good. I have my doubts that they are that good, that they're Patrick Mahomes good, so to speak. Uh, one thing I thought of that I haven't seen mentioned enough in relation to this possibility, and I was proud of myself for thinking of it, but I want you to tell me if I'm crazy and I, I'm galaxy braining myself here. If you do think one of these quarterbacks is that excellent or is that good, even outside of even if you think they're really, really good, 
good enough to win a Super Bowl with. I wonder if there's an added wrinkle to their motivation to try to go get one of them, knowing that the Texans are picking second and the Colts are picking fourth. Like, if you think that guy is that good, do you just sit idly by and watch him fall to your rival? Do you just let you think Bryce Young is a no brainer franchise quarterback? Will Levis is a top five quarterback in the NFL. Do you just sit back and let the Indianapolis Colts draft him? You just sit back and let the Houston Texans draft him? You would almost have to think there would be some added motivation um, if you think this guy is that good that you really don't want him ending up with your rival. And guess what? There's a really, really good chance he will end up with one of your rivals, right? Because the Texans have number two. They could trade up to number one. The Bears aren't going to pick a quarterback number one. if they stick. I doubt they're sticking there, but if they do, they're not going to take a quarterback. So you're, you, you look at the Texans potentially getting their pick of the litter the Colts at four they can get one of them it's even easier for them to move up to two to one two or three to get a quarterback of their choosing really if they don't want to wait around till four so I do wonder what the position those two clubs are in if the Titans would have any added motivation to go get a guy but I I do ultimately think they're not in a position uh, to trade uh, up to the number one pick yeah I agree and it's like you said like they won't be able to address the rest of their needs. And then you have people say, oh, well, you have free agency to address all those needs. And like, yeah, you would think so unless you are $26 million over the cap right now and have to cut a bunch of guys that are just going to create more holes that you then have to go address. It's like you would, build the you, offensive you, line. You, I'm just saying, though, if you did, if you did go that route and you freed up like $60 million by getting rid of Tannehill and Luan and Dupree and Cunningham, like that, I think that's around $60, $65 million right there. All of a sudden, you've got some wiggle room to, you know, to, to sign yeah. at least a couple, way more than you, we think they're going to be in a position to do, right? So, And if you're able to trade Ryan Tannehill to a team like the Panthers or the Falcons yeah. or the Jets picks. or somebody, you get picks this year or next year, like then you have a chance, you know, maybe to like, maybe you take a year where you don't have the pieces and then next year you have an extra first round pick and you bang, you can m- turn that into more picks or whatever. Um, yeah, there's there's possible ways to go and honestly like it would be really fun and exciting if the titans drafted one of these quarterbacks super high and on top of that just like to to really bring this point home ben devine who is he no idea nobody knows who he is he has 1800 twitter followers he has a blue check mark that he paid for he re-reported this thing according to you're ruthless i'm sorry but he he tweeted out there the Bears have already received offers from two teams for the number one overall pick, according to the Bears blog. Quote, neither is Texans or Colts. Update, one of the inquiring teams is the Titans, who have the 11th pick in the draft. This is all based on the other tweets I just read from the Bears blog. Right. It's not based on any real information. And just to, like, really bring this all the way back around, another guy who's a nobody, Justin Cohen, at Bad Boy of Scoops, 1,600 Twitter followers, a blue check that he paid for, he tweeted um, around the same time, uh, a, a day later, per source, the Tennessee Titans are extremely high on Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud and have him as their top first-round target. Okay, Justin Cohen, if you're a real person, maybe this is true, but I don't believe that any of this is real, and I'm done believing people on Twitter who aren't inked up Seahawks Shane or whoever that guy was that knew Clowney was coming to the Titans all along. Shout um, out inked up Shane. <laughs> Never forget that. We went back and forth. People might, most people might not even know what we're talking about here, but shout out inked up Shane. That was, was a an, that was a legendary moment on Titans Twitter. The number one Clowney insider was inked up Seahawks Shane. But anyway, my point is, like, if this stuff isn't coming from a major source – 
or from our own Justin Mello. Don't buy it. It's it's not real. It's a guy trying to say, oh, I called that um, so he can retweet himself in April uh, on a lucky dart throw in the off chance that he's right about this. And it's obviously tied to this other fake report about the Titans calling about the number one pick. And hey, maybe the Titans did call about the number one pick. Maybe they're like, hey, how much would the number one pick cost? Oh, that's a lot. Okay, bye. Like that could have been the extent of calling about the number one pick if they even did. So anyway, that's all I have to say about that. Just stop believing everything you read on Twitter. Okay. Anyway, let's, before we end this episode, your big board, your newest big board, because the top 50 is already out. Your top 75 big board comes out broadwaysportsmedia.com on Tuesday, the same day this podcast is dropping. And if you're a Broadway insider, you can read it right away. If you're not a Broadway insider, you have to wait. All all the more reason to become a Broadway insider. But I, as your podcast co-host, have been given the exclusive chance to have a sneak peek at this big board. I I look through it, read some of your blurbs, and I have a couple of questions for you here. My first question is from the heart. And it's about your number three overall player, who happens to be from my alma mater, the University of Texas at Austin, Texas Longhorn, Bijan Robinson. So I'm. This is a two-part question. Number one, it's based on how much do you take the positional value into account when you're building out your big board? Because I notice, you know, you don't have, you know, your your highest ranked quarterback is uh, number four on the big board. You know, positional value would say that the quarterbacks should be at the top. And then you have Bijan Robinson at three, a running back. A lot of people would say, don't even draft a running back in the first round. Don't even draft a running back until day three because why waste the pick? So my second part of the question is more going to be about how should teams, and if you were a, a, a drafter or a general manager, how would you weigh the value on your big board against the positional value? But before we get to that, more about your own process How much do you take into account positional value when you're building out your big board? Or is it purely based on like talent level and translatability, like who you think is going to be the most successful players in the NFL? Do you take positional value into account or you're just like Bijan Robinson is really good. He's the third plus best player in this draft. Yeah, he's a running back, but he's the third best player in this draft. So he's number three on my big board. I get this question a lot and you may or may not like the answer. Because I find most people that stack big boards, I go the opposite way here. They like to have an answer to that question where it's just, this is my process and it's this all the time. I don't believe in that. I rather treat every case as an individual case-by-case basis. And I think that's the right way to do it. It's my way. Like It's my way to do it. So, of course, I'm going to think it's the right way to do it. But there are <laughs> times where I, I'll take it into account and I will have a running back um, that I, that I like, say I I got a a third round grade on him and he's, uh, you know, my 65th best player. Well, if I have a, you know, an edge rusher at, I may, that I may think about putting at 66, let's say, um, I, I probably will bump him above that running back and put him at 64. So that'll be an example of where I'll I'll take positional value into account where I'm not going to take it into account here is I think Bijan Robinson is a generational talent. Like I think he is an unbelievable, outstanding prospect. If you if I read a big board that had Bijan Robinson at number one, I would have no problem with that. He if you told me you think Bijan Robinson, <laughs> Robinson is the best player in the draft, uh, the best pure player in the draft, I would have no problem with that. Where I have him at three here, I guess it's a combination of the two questions you asked me. Where I have him at three is uh, I think Will Anderson 
who's my number one, and Jalen Carter out of Georgia, that's my number two. I think they're in very similar buckets to B. John Robinson. I think they're outstanding players. I essentially have no real questions or concerns. Obviously, you know, you're always going to have a couple questions about a prospect. You're not doing it the right way if you don't, but I'm so comfortable with Will Anderson and Jalen Carter as prospects that they're in such a similar bucket to me as B. John Robinson. And that's why I do have them at one, two and Robinson three. So there's a, a bit of an example there where my positional value kind of comes into account. But once I get to B. John Robinson at three, I do not have another player in this class really that I'm as comfortable with as I am with Abijan Robinson. So just because I really, really like Christian Gonzalez, cornerback out of Oregon. I, I don't know where I, you've got it there. I've got him at six, seven, or I think seven or eight. I think I have him at eight. Yeah, I believe. Uh, I don't have it in front of me right now. And I, I've memorized most of it. But when you're working on it a couple hours a day, you like to forget about it here once in a while. I've got him at eight. <laughs> I really like Christian Gonzalez. Corner is such an important position. I don't like him more than I like Bijan Robinson. Like Bijan Robinson's again generational, unbelievable, unbelievable talent. So I, you're seeing mock drafts where he's going like in the second round. I think that's absolutely yeah. ridiculous. I think that's just totally disregarding the talent. Like just come out and admit you think every running back should be a UDFA. If you think Bijan Robinson should be a second, <laughs> like there's just no way in f in hell that Bijan Robinson is a second round prospect. Bijan Robinson is one of the three best football players in this class. There's no doubt about that. It's one of the easiest evaluations you could ever write up, do whatever, watch a tape, whatever you do. It is so straightforward. Don't give me that bullshit about him. And did we not just talk about how important it is to run the football in the playoffs, how the Bills couldn't run the ball and they got their asses kicked? Tampa Bay Buccaneers were the worst running football team in NFL this year. They got their asses kicked in the first round. Dallas Cowboys, who can run the ball, won a playoff game, blew out the Buccaneers. Cincinnati Bengals, who can run the ball, or in the AFC went to the AFC Championship game. Who you gave me another one? Oh, San Francisco 49ers, who haven't had great quarterback play, can run the hell out of the football. Philadelphia Eagles, who can run the hell out of the football with their dual threat quarterback and a rotation of backfield. Like people, people get stuck into this bucket of like, and I, I see this with Derrick Henry all the time, and I, I could make it my beef of the week. It's like people seem to think the Titans can't have Derrick Henry and a good passing game. No, there is no reason. Cincinnati Bengals are making it work. Like I, I know Joe Mixon's not Derrick Henry, but they run the ball effectively enough, right? You, the Titans can have a good passing game and have Derrick Henry. It's their own shortcomings why they haven't been able to mesh those two things together. It's not because Derrick Henry hamstrings the offense. No, it's 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 if it's if it's coaching malpractice. If you think they're too run centered because of Derrick Henry, that's not Derrick Henry's fault. That's their own fault. Right. Or they don't have the receivers, the offensive line, the quarterback to pass the ball. That's not Derrick Henry's fault. That's their fault. You can have Derrick Henry and have a good quarterback and have a good O line and have a good passing game, or have coaches that uh, call a balanced game on offense. Like, don't give me that shit that Derrick Henry is hurting this team. No, they're hurting themselves if that they they pigeonhole themselves into thinking they have to just run Derrick Henry seventy five times a game because they have Derrick Henry. No, that's on them. Different topic altogether. But because I'm a Derrick a Titans guy, and I, I believe I'm running the football Derrick uh, Titans guy, uh, I'm going to have – I've got a high grade on Bijan Robinson. I think he's a hell of a fucking football player, and I'm going to have him at number three. I've got no problem having him at number three. And uh, feel free to push back. Does that answer your question on how I sort of view yeah. the way the whole big uh, – way positional value versus big board because Bijan Robinson is a top three player. I'm not going to let anyone convince me otherwise. Yeah. And I fully agree with that. And I haven't watched a lot of prospects this year or whatever, but I know I've, I mean, I watched every snap that Bijan Robinson took at Texas and I know what I've seen on the field. So my follow-up question here is at number 11, 
if you're getting a guy who you think is a top three player in this class. <laughs> and my other argument about this, by the way, I know the positional value and all that. Taking a running back in the first round, running back is one of the more safe positions that you can draft in the NFL. It, the translative, the ability to translate what you see on the tape in college to the NFL is a lot different than like a cornerback who runs a very basic scheme and then has to learn a bunch of coverage rules in college. It's a lot different than a wide receiver who like runs three routes and then True. has to like learn the full route tree in college. It's a lot different than, you know, offensive line, uh, the competition level that you're facing, quarterback, what kind of reads are they making? Like with a running back, most of the time what you see in college is what you get in the pros. So in terms of like taking a pick, using your first round pick on a player that you don't think will bust – or at least has a lower chance to bust because every player could bust. And like, yeah, Darrington Evans busted. But I think you said this in our group chat earlier. Darrington Evans busted as a person off the field, not necessarily as a player on the field. It was his dedication to the game that cost him more and his ability to stay healthy that cost him more than his ability to play football. So anyway, all that to say, if you're getting the third best player in the draft at number 11, is that a reach just because he's a running back? And not just a running back, a running back who can catch the ball as well as any wide receiver in this class. And like, I don't say that to be hyperbolic. Like, there are good wide receivers in this class. There could be great ones. It's not a particularly strong wide receiver class. There's no Jamar Chase in this class. This is the type of class where you get maybe get some great value in the second round with a wide receiver. But my point is, Bijan Robinson, I mean, if you saw the one-handed catch he made deep down the field, running a post route, I can't remember what game it was, but for Texas this past season, like, you know what I'm talking about. This guy can transform your entire offense. He's like Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara. And Le'Veon Bell, I mean, this is the type of talent he reminds me of when I watch this guy play. The patience, the explosion, the burst, the vision, the hands, the receiving <laughs> ability, the route running ability. Anyway, super long question. But is that a crazy reach to think that Bijan Robinson at pick 11 when you have Derrick Henry, who's getting older and has one year left on his one year of guaranteed money left on his contract? It's like maybe you draft Bijan Robinson at 11. You play him in the backfield with Derrick Henry. You line him up at slot wide receiver. You get as much use out of him. You run some gadget plays with him. He's, he doesn't take on a full workload as a rookie. Then Derrick Henry goes off to whatever the next chapter of his career is. And Bijan Robinson steps in. And you get three years of really cheap, really excellent running back play. Anyway, that's my pitch for Bijan Robinson. So, yeah, I am going to disagree with you there. And where I, and I guess this is a good example of my positional value coming into play. No, I don't think the Titans can take a running back at number 11, even if he is the third best player in the class, when they still have Derrick Henry. And I know this is a bit of a different conversation, but it's just like the Kansas City Chiefs, to a degree, shouldn't take a quarterback in the first round, even if they got a super high grade on him because they have Patrick Mahomes. I know it's a little different because quarterbacks, uh, first of all, a higher value position. And secondly, Derrick Henry is on his way out at some point, right? As you said, and I, I will agree with that, of course. But even then, I think that's where my positional value would come into play, where I've got a, an amazing running back on this roster right now. I've got a bunch of holes elsewhere. No, I don't think the Titans can afford to take Bijan Robinson at 11th overall. But you know what? I think if you are, uh, if you have the 12th pick in the draft and you don't have a good running back, yeah, I think you absolutely. I think the Baltimore Ravens should probably think about taking Bijan Robinson wherever they're picking, uh, for example, I, I think is a good one. I think uh, when the Carolina Panthers, for example, when they took Christian McCaffrey, I thought that was a very good pick. I don't care. It was number eight overall. By the way, they got a bunch of good years out of him, and then, then they get a first-round pick for him in a trade, so worked out pretty well for the Panthers uh, over there. And, by, <laughs> and I think San Francisco would have gone to the Super Bowl if they had a, a, a healthy quarterback, and I think they would not have regretted trading a 
first round pick for Christian McCaffrey. In fact, I, I shouldn't just say they will, they would not, because I still don't think they regret trading a first round pick for Christian right. McCaffrey because they're going to run it back next year with probably a better situation at quarterback. Christian McCaffrey is going to help them win 12 games again. So I hope that answered your question. Um, and with positional value, it's maybe a bit of a boring answer. I'm, I'm not someone um, that has a one size fits all answer when it comes to positional value when ranking my big board. I think I, no, I'm I don't, not against anyone that does it, but for my process, I find it borderline disrespectful to the player. I never, I have never in my, once in my life looked at a big board, looked at a player on my big board and thought that um, I could apply a one size fits all rule to that player. Like I would never look back and say, well, I had Darrington Evans at 75th overall. So I have to have Tajay Spears at 75th overall. Like I would never do that. Uh, there's no one size fits all for, to me for positional value. And sometimes that leads to me being a little all over the place with my big board, but I always feel I could justify it with that answer. Whereas I believe this player is in the same bucket as these, as these players. And that's why he's around here. Again, Bijan being in that bucket with Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. And I think everyone below him is not quite in that bucket. But again, an example where I would go the other way is if I do have a not so high a grade on a guy and he's my 66th best player, um, then yeah, I might take the 67th, uh, you know, player who's an edge or a quarterback, I'll, I might put him above the running back because I think that's a good example where you should use positional value, right? If you're picking in the third or fourth round and you need a quarterback or an edge and you've got a very similar grade to that quarterback or edge as you have a running back, then you should probably take the one that plays the more important position. And of course that ties in with assessing your own roster needs, right? But that's my rule of thumb. I've used it. I think last year I had Kyle Pitts or uh, like number three or four on my big board. And I got say I didn't give a shit. He was a tight end. He's one of the best prospects uh, last year, bar none. It was just, it was a no brainer. So uh, that's my rule. Essentially, to sum up, I have no rule. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to see the rest of Melo's big board top seventy five, you'll have to check it out on BroadwaySportsMedia.com. And in fact, you should sign up to become a Broadway Insider. Yeah, become a Broadway Insider today. It's six ninety nine a month. You could use the code INSIDER to get your first month for just 99 cents or use the code ANNUAL uh, for a total of $49.99 for your first year. Lots of great uh, benefits to becoming a Broadway Insider. We've got the Mike Herndon Show uh, behind the paywall. That's a weekly video show going out every week with your favorite Mike Miracles, Mike Herndon. That's obviously a big perk to becoming a Broadway Insider. You get early access to some of the podcasts. Uh, a lot of written content behind that paywall. Whether that written content comes from me, it comes from Zach at uh, F Words Pod. Uh, it's coming from Easton. There's a lot of content coming your way if you're a Broadway insider. Become an insider today. You won't regret it. Anyway, that'll do it for us here at the Music City Audible. Thanks to everyone for listening. Justin, any last words before we sign off? No, this was a really fun episode. Considering you and I, we went into this, we started planning this episode. We weren't sure what we were going to, uh, you know, entirely sure what we were going to talk about. We had a couple of different ideas to structure this episode. Um, I thought it was going to be probably 30, 35 minutes. I think it's over 50 already, 52, 53 minutes. So I'm not surprised when you and I get going. I, I, I'm not just saying it. I think it's one of our more enjoyable episodes we've had lately. I think we had a lot of fun with the Nate Davis stuff, the Senior Bowl stuff. Big answering big board questions, beef of the week, uh, and everything. So I thought this was a really fun episode that jumped around a little, but had some really good philosophical discussions in my opinion. Yeah, and it's funny because I told my girlfriend before we started, like, no, nah, it'll only be 30, 35, 40 <laughs> minutes max. And here we are, uh, 
approaching an hour again. But anyway, um, yes, that'll do it. So thanks to everyone for listening. Follow Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. You can follow me at Titans Film Room. I got to go. I got to go pack my suitcase because tomorrow morning I'm getting on a plane. I'm going to Phoenix because I'm going to cover the Super Bowl for the NFL and then I'll be going to the game. That'll be a pretty fun one for me. So uh, make sure you're following along my Twitter account. We'll see what kind of fun stuff I can can find myself in hijinks wise. But anyway, that's it for this episode. We'll be back next week. Maybe we'll have an offensive coordinator to talk about. That's the goal. Cross your fingers. Fingers crossed. We'll have an maybe we'll have an OC to talk about. All right. We'll be back next week. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.